0: I guess I just feel like. I guess I just feel like. Nobody's up, nobody's true. Everyone's lying to make it on through. I guess I just feel like. Yes, I just feel It's like just
1: Today we need to talk about suicide. Uh, The sentiments in that song um, are going to use a little bit different words than we're going to use, but it carries the same kind of idea where people get to a place where they think giving up is maybe the best option. And we've been in a series where we're um, called highs and lows, and we're looking at what happens when the lows dominate your life. What do you do when that happens? And I've been trying to convince you that if you can engage your sadness in a really healthy way, some good things would come out of that. The topic of suicide is one of the reasons people do not like to address the um, subject of sadness in their life. They believe that outcome is bad and so sad is bad and that outcome is horrible. But I'd like to suggest to you it's the way we've dealt with sadness that sometimes leads to this horrible outcome. And so I want to talk about it in a way um, that maybe gives us a chance to have a discussion, open discussion uh, that can go from here and go somewhere. Uh, Right now, our culture is dealing with a tsunami of suicide issues. I don't know if you know this or not. But since the 50s, all the way up to the year 2000, there was a steady decline in the number of suicides. But starting in 2000, we started to see a shift and there started to be an increase. There's been a 30% increase since the year 2000 in the number of people who take their life. There's been a sharp increase starting in 2011. And we're going to be glad for only a 30% increase at the rate things are currently going right now. If they if they continue to hold pace, it's going to be dramatic, the effect that this is going to have on our world and our culture. It's having an, um, a major effect on young women right now. Uh, young women are from 2000 until now have seen a 50% increase in the suicide rate in their group. Now, s- this has started from a smaller number. I think it was around 4 out of 100,000 people were taking their lives, and now that's up to 6, so that's pretty serious. But, and the percentage is going to seem less for young men. Young men, it's only up 21%, but they started at a higher number. They started around 11 per 100,000, and now they're up. Um, Close to 13 and a half, almost 14 per 100,000. So there's even more who are dealing with that sort of thing. But that doesn't tell you the whole story. There's a lot of stuff going on with this right now. Um, When COVID hit and social isolation became a thing that was normal for so many people, this took off um, like wildfire. The CDC released a study about a month ago, where they asked for everybody to report on their mental health. And some of the numbers that they reported were staggering. In the age group of 18 to 24-year-olds, 25% of that group reported that they had considered killing themselves seriously. 25% of them said that in the last month, in the last month. Um, This is uh, also spreading uh, to high school students. They just completed a survey. This is a little longer survey, so it includes includes some COVID and some non-COVID time. went back to August of 19 to August of 20. And they surveyed high school students around the country, and they said, how many of you have seriously considered suicide as an option for your life? 18.8% of kids said they had. Now, this is where it gets um, disturbing. It's not the same for guys and girls. That's the average. Young women, high school students, 24% of them had seriously considered suicide. 13% of males had considered suicide. And if you're thinking, man, this is just something people talk about. This is not something people talk about when they asked all of those kids, all of those high school kids, do you have a plan for this? 15.7% of those kids had a way they had thought about doing this. And again, it's, it's unbalanced. 19%, almost 20% female said they had a plan. 11% of guys said they had a plan, by the way. This is the only reason at this point that people can put their finger on this and say this is why this is not affecting young girls at a higher rate right now because young men tend to be more violent in their plans than young women. And if that ever changes, they will rapidly catch up and surpass young men because of the the stuff they're currently dealing with. So this this is kind of serious stuff. Just for you to get the weight of this 8.9% of all high school students attempted suicide in the last 12 months only 2.5% did it in such a way that it required some sort of medical treatment or care but this is this is not good stuff and in case you thought well I'm not sure it can get much worse Um, I haven't seen the numbers yet, but I trust the source because he's um, up to his eyeballs in it. Um, Austin came into my room, my office a couple weeks ago and said, Blair, I know you've seen the study on the high school stuff and it's bad. But um, they just completed one in the middle school. It hasn't been released yet, but they're already revealing that it's worse for middle school students than it is for high school students right now. The stuff that high school students used to deal with and middle school students never even thought about has been equalized by the use of the internet. And those kids are now dealing with things that they never would have had to deal with or think about, and they are coming to conclusions that are seriously significant. It's not just kids. I know I focused on that because I think um, it really grabs our hearts, and they are dealing with a lot of stress in this area, but if you go and you look at that 30% uptick, there's a couple other groups that ought to catch your attention. One of those is a sharp and dramatic increase in men over the age of 50 who have decided that this must be the best way to go about this, and they are seeing a dramatic increase in the number of people who are taking their lives in that age group. Listen, in the same survey where the CDC asked about mental health in the last month, in the age group of 25 to 44-year-olds, that millennial group, 16% of them said that they had seriously considered suicide as well. This is not just a youth thing going on. There's something bigger happening. Now, if you were to ask me what, you know, what's going on, maybe, maybe, It's not in our community. Maybe it's a wider thing that's happening around the country. I would tell you, listen, we are having conversations with kids, with adults, with all kinds of people on a regular basis. You go and talk to any medical doctor who's practicing in this area right now, and they will tell you it is a common conversation for them to have. This is happening here. It's happening um, to the people that you look at that you would never think that they would be struggling with this that's going on. And so the question is why? Well, let me, I'm going to share four reasons. These are very opinionated. I get that. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I do think there are plenty of other people who are agreeing with some of this, but w- I'm not going to fight it out with you. If you don't want to buy this, it's fine. But I think there are four things that I've seen that have been shifts and changes um, that are pretty dramatic right now. Uh, one, one. Um, kind of dates to that beginning of the uptick in 2000, I think 9-11, was a shift in people's minds that there were things that were so big that were out of their control and they didn't know what to do. And I think that's continued and we've seen that build. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But I think that started a path um, that hasn't let up for a lot of people. I think, too, there's been a, a shift in parenting that came from a good place. That um, we've had a desire to protect our kids, and we've protected them so well at times that they are unable to be resilient in the face of sadness. In fact, they're shocked that they're dealing with their sadness, and they don't know really how to do that, and it, it's become uh, a thing that we're gonna have to figure out a way to work through. But if you wanna know the big one, it's this one. And it coincides with a sharp increase that started in 2011. And the risk is, when I say it, you're going to look at me and say, you're just a curmudgeonly old man who doesn't like this stuff. I can deal with that. Social media. Social media. It allows people to compare themselves with each other, believe that they're missing out on something in life. Listen, um, there is widespread agreement at how damaging this is And you don't have to agree with me. I'm not telling you to shut it all off, but I would tell you strongly that if you are not limiting your intake, you're risking stuff. It's very dangerous. Um, Professors who study this at the collegiate level have gone to their 17-year-old daughters and said, you're not on this anymore. I'm not allowing this. Can you imagine that? Removing that from a 17-year-old? What kind of tyrant does that? Somebody who's figured out that this is extremely dangerous. This stuff is having a serious impact on people's lives. And the fourth one, I believe this is a factor too. Because we've not known how to deal well with sadness, we've not known how to engage it, it becomes hidden for a lot of people. And unfortunately, when it's hidden... um, it can turn into other things, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I have some personal interest in this story, too. I've not lost anybody um, in my family over the issue of suicide. Uh, But when I got married, um, I married somebody uh, who began to have regular um, bouts with this. And uh, we didn't see it coming. It was like clockwork. Just every year would kind of pop back up and pop back up and, Um, Man, it was super frustrating, and uh, we didn't have a good handle on it. Uh, I was um, trying to do my best to encourage her, and I was getting back from her all kinds of stuff that made zero sense to me, like there was no logic in it whatsoever. I would hear from my wife's voice this line over and over, and I knew things were going to go in the wrong way whenever she started saying this. She would say, I think it might be better for everybody if I wasn't here anymore. Look, that was coming out of her mouth when we had five kids under age 10. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how that would be better for anybody, right? No, you're not thinking about this well. Like something's off. But um, when we went to seek help, we didn't get a lot. We didn't get a lot of help from the church. We didn't get a lot of help from medical um, people at the time. Uh, The advice that we got back then, this was a while ago, was that she had stuff internally that she had to deal with, and until she dealt with that, nothing would change. And it wasn't until we went through a whole, um, like, years of this, and finally with the same doctor, he finally looked at us and said, you know what? I think there might be something else going on here. And it's it co- kind of correlates with the seasons. And he started talking to us about SAD, and he was the first one who recommended that maybe we could do something different than we'd been doing to tackle that problem. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, too. But well, we've also had this experience with our kids. We've had a couple kids. And we think, in part, some of this um, has to do with some genetic stuff. There's a lot of... Um, kind of that kind of stuff going on in my wife's side of the family. And so uh, we saw that in some of our kids, but it still didn't explain. The the biology did not explain the whole story. There was far more going on. And so um, we've made mistakes. uh, We've learned. And I'm going to try to share some of that with you. All I can say is that uh, we struggled our way through it. And there are still moments where it's difficult. um, But for me, if you're sitting here and you've been processing and thinking about the option of suicide for yourself, can I just tell you directly that in the wake of every situation where I've been involved with somebody who's taken their life, there are waves and waves of people who love them who would have done anything for them and somehow we get to a place where we're convinced that we're alone that we're not loved and that we'd be better off if we were not here and i just want to tell you it's not true and i'm gonna, i'm hope to give you some ideas that you can think through if you're in that space right now. And I'm hoping to give others ideas if you're walking alongside um, some others. Let me just clarify real quick. I'm not a professional. I'm not a counselor. I have interest in this because of um, a personal situation where I've lived through it. I have interest in this because I have conversations with people all the time about this. I have a lot of interest in this because it's impacting our students right now in a significant way. So I've been reading, I've been talking to people, I've been listening, I've been trying to learn. And my hope is this morning not that we're going to solve this issue. My hope is that we can open it up for a conversation. So that you know that it's okay for you to have this conversation with people here at Waypoint. It's all right. We'll walk alongside you, we'll hear you out, we'll go into it with you. The The church has not done a good job with this. Um, when Tracy and I were younger, uh, for you to talk about any kind of depression, uh, it was a shaming thing. When the doctor finally looked at us and told us, I think this might be related to the seasons that you're going through and and Tracy, I want you on some medication. We hid that from our friends because it was so looked down on in the church at the time. You couldn't say that. You, you were doing something wrong. And so I'm hoping that we can change the temperature of how we're going to talk about this. Um, so that we can help serve each other. I know one size doesn't fit all. I don't believe sadness is the only reason for suicide. I think it's a major one. So it fits in with our series, and and we're going to address it in that way. Uh, But we're just going to do our best. And here's the basis of how I want to come about this. See, I'm convinced that if um, sadness gets you in a place where you don't engage it and you decide to bury it, Our thought is that it just stays static and still in our lives, but that is not what happens. It grows. It grows into um, what I'm going to call some whoppers. It starts off as apathy. It starts off as fear. It starts off as maybe an addiction of some sort, but it works into a whopper like it's a big one that you believe And with that whopper in place, you're willing to consider suicide as an option. And so I want to put those whoppers on the table. Because those have gotten somewhere because the sadness has stayed hidden for too long. And now it's become bigger. And I want to address three of them this morning. Three things that I think um, as I've talked with people and I've listened and I've tried to understand what's happening Uh, These three words do a really good job of defining where a lot of people end up on this subject. Uh, The first has to do with people feeling like they just can't change their life. Like the situation that they're in right now is their forever future. And because of that, in a word, they feel hopeless feel like there is no way forward, there's no end, there's nothing that I can do to change this, which again, it it doesn't make a ton of sense, right, because one of the things that we know is the only thing that you can count on is change, like, you'd like some things to stay the same, and it's going to get messed up by change, your life will change, and that's part of what gets hidden in this stuff, is we're convinced that what we're in right now, what we're facing right now, is forever. It's why I'm convinced that finding a way to engage God in your sadness becomes critically important to you because um, God has an interesting relationship with hope and what he intends to do with hope in our lives. I want you to see some of this. It's all throughout the scripture, by the way. The nation of Israel has been rebelling against God he's kind of exhausted from it. And so he allows them to be taken captive by Babylon. They're going to come and haul all of these people away. They're going to face slavery. It's going to be horrible. And in the midst of that happening, this is what Jeremiah writes, that God says to the nation of Israel. You're facing one of your worst moments in life. But here, this is what I think. This is what God says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope. a future. This is written in the middle of people going into captivity. It would be very easy to look at that moment and think, this is my forever future. I see no hope in getting out of this. I see no opportunities ahead. But here's the problem. You can only see what you can see. God can see what you cannot see, so why don't you connect yourself into somebody who actually believes in your future, who has a plan for your future? The scriptures reveal that in um, Psalm 139, that God had a plan for you from when you were born. It started then, and it hasn't gone away. He's bigger than your situations. I want you to see this. This is in Romans chapter 15, because this is everywhere. It's all over the place. This is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. By the way, if he wants to be described that way, it must be pretty important to him. That he's the God of hope. And then it says this, as you trust in him... So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that this is what God wants to do in your life? He actually wants to fill you up to a place where hope overflows. Because you believe in a future that you could have. I think what happens when it gets so dark. When you become um, so shaped by this. That you start to believe that there's no purpose for your life. There can't be a purpose for my life. If this is going to be the rest of my life, what's the point? But God does have a purpose. It's always been bigger than the moment that you're in. He's always looking forward, and he wants to walk with you to open up that opportunity. But when he's held at bay, we miss out on the fact that he has all of these plans. You got to catch this. The scripture is very clear that this is released in your life when you act on trust. Like, I actually have to believe that you have a future for me. I actually have to believe you have a plan. I have to believe that you care about me. I think everything in the scriptures is skewed to communicate that God loves you deeply. It's not hidden. And if you'd be willing to trust that and step into that, you would see that he has purposes for you that are beyond what you can currently see. It's how he operates. It's how he thinks. He loves you. By the way, I think um, this is why social media is so disruptive. Is because you see what everybody else has in their life as they curate their most finest moments and put them on there for you to see. And that you can't possibly ever have that kind of future. You can't ever have that kind of life. You can't ever have. And you honestly believe that you're stuck in this moment right now. And you're chasing people. For what reason? God has a plan for you. It's bigger than Facebook. Like it's bigger than those images that you see. He has an idea of what he could do with your life. And too many of us are trapped in that comparison model, and we've missed that God has something grand planned for you. Second, whopper, I think, comes from apathy and fear that builds up in your life. We said, man, if you uh, respond to sadness poorly, it will grow apathy, it will grow fear in you, and left unchecked, it will grow into a whopper. And the whopper is where you start to feel like I'm powerless. I can see the purpose. I can see that there's something of value, but there's nothing I can do about it. I think that's what happened when a 9-11 hit. I can see what needs to change. I can see all of these people who are angry and upset at each other, but I can do nothing about this. And I want to tell you that has continued to build in our society. There's all kinds of things that people now feel like they can't do anything about. And when you hear them describe this stuff, They'll actually say, I feel like in this issue, I'm just invisible. It doesn't matter if I were here or not, which leads me to think that maybe it doesn't matter if I'm here at all. I'm invisible. And they feel like there's no power. By the way, it's not just world issues I think this happens with. I've watched this happen. Uh, This is uh, one of the reasons that guys above 50 are seeing an increase in divorce or um, increase in suicide. The divorce rate is also increasing there. And they are entering something that they have no control over. And they feel like they can't actually, they don't have any power in this situation. And so they move to take their own life. In an effort to exert some kind of control, some sort of influence. They make that choice. I think there would be a lot of value in you finding a way to engage God in this level of sadness. Because the scriptures reveal that God and his kingdom have a very interesting connection when it comes to power. I want to read what 1 Corinthians 4.20 says. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Galatians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. He's a God of power. And he intends to act through your life with power. Here's the truth. You have all the power you need. It's just not sometimes the power you want. See, God gives you power to act in the world that you're living right now. And I think he assigns it based on responsibility. He's given you responsibilities in this life. And he gives you the power to act on those responsibilities in a way that influence the world that you live in. And what happens is we look at that and we think it's too small. We can see a bigger purpose, a bigger meaning, and we want to have a part of that one, but you're not responsible for that one. You want to change something that's not your responsibility. You want to have ownership for something that God's going to care about instead in another way. In fact, I think over time, God will grow your responsibility if you're responsible with what you've been given. If you want more power, be responsible with what you have. But until then, act with God's power in your life. Did you see what that verse said? It would do more than you ask or think. That's the kind of power you're walking around with. Stuff that you haven't thought that you could do. But God's willing to do that. And we're over here busy. Wanting responsibility that isn't ours. You know how God releases power into your life? He gives you gifts. Some of you are really talented at specific things. It's a gift of God into your life. You ought to lean into that, find a way to use it, and be engaged with it. He gives you the gift of power by letting you choose things. It's why he makes you responsible for stuff in your world. You have choices to make. You have power. It's when you think you don't that I suspect what's happening is you want power that you're not responsible for yet. And if you would just act. Based on what God has given you power over. You could make a difference. Again you have to trust. You have to trust that God's given you a purpose. He's given you meaning. And I think this is what eats away at that. As people think I know there's a purpose. But there's no meaning for my life. No there is. It's engaging God's power exactly where you're at with who you're with in a way that honors God. You're not powerless. But Blair, you don't understand. I'm weak. I'm not going to be able to pull this off. I have really good news for you. This is what Jesus was quoted as saying. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. You understand you're connected to a source of power that allows you to find meaning and purpose in life. If you would just grab on. The last whopper, I hear this some from people who are dealing with suicidal thoughts. I hear this a whole lot more from people who are walking alongside people who are dealing with that. People who've spoken into their lives and just felt like it doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter what I do, I feel helpless. I've been there. I felt like um, everything that I was saying and doing um, was worthless. But what I've come to realize is there are two ways to think about help. And if you think about it wrong, you're going to be correct, you're helpless. You and I are helpless to change their situation. That's outside of your scope. So if what you mean when you say I'm helpless is I can't change them, you're right. That's going to have to be something that God does with them. But it's not true that you can't help. I made a little list of the things that I'm convinced that you can do that will allow you to play your part in this in a healthy way. Uh, The first one is pray. If you think that's a small thing, um, you're mistaken. Because some of the biggest things that have happened in our lives that have changed the course of our lives when it comes to this stuff with depression and suicide in my own family were surprises that came along that God was doing on the side that I had no idea of until it happened. He burns the candle on both ends. He does stuff that you can't see and understand. He has people cross paths at right moments. You ought to pray. You ought to pray. You ought to pray. It ought to be something that you do on a regular basis for the person who's going through that. Now, besides that, I made another um, list of things. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should speak the truth. Always speak the truth kindly. If the truth sets people free... um, and they're struggling with seeing the truth, they ought to at least hear it from you. They do not need a lecture from you. Nobody does. But they ought to hear the truth. I will look my wife in the face and say, everybody would miss you if you were gone. That's the truth. Whatever whatever it is that they need to hear that's true, tell them. And don't be shy about it. Don't be apologetic of it. Tell them the truth. Because you don't know if God's going to use that to break through and to communicate to their heart or not. Number three, don't be afraid of sadness. It's our very fear of sadness. See, the situation's already bad, right? They're dealing with sadness, and it's kind of swallowed up their life. And now if you're afraid of sadness... They're going to conclude that they need to hide that from you. And now it's compounded. It's, it's going to go underground and it's going to turn into a whopper. You can help by not being shaken by that. It's okay. Be sad. Say that to me. I'm not going to be shaken by this. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to do what I can to help. But don't be afraid of it. Number four. Find And feed a passion or interest. We stumbled on some of these accidentally. Actually, I don't think they were accidentally. I think these were God things that we did not see coming until they were happening. We had a son who um, was dealing with severe depression. We were concerned that he was uh, suicidal on a regular basis. He would not come out of his room. He would not engage people. He had social anxiety. It was very difficult. We We had very few solutions And um, in 2016, uh, we decided to build a house, and I was doing a lot of work on the house to save some money. And for the fun of it, I invited him to come along one night. And he said yes. Like, he left the house. We didn't know what to think. And he left the house on a regular basis to help me on that project for the rest of the project. He skipped a family vacation to work on that house. changed when that happened because the opposite of powerlessness is action and it's silly and his actions were only about putting up trim and cutting boards and helping do flooring and all of that kind of stuff but it was enough that all of a sudden he had something to do that he had some passion for he was afraid of power tools and still until he started working on the project Then it got to a place where I could assign him something to go do, and he would do it on his own, and his whole demeanor changed. And we realized, man, find something that they can act on. If you're feeling powerless, find something that you can do. Go serve somewhere. Go find something that you can do that you love to do and feed it. Find a way to feed it. Number five, I hope you'll be open to professional help. One of the changes in our story was when the doctor finally looked at us and said, Tracy, I think you should consider medication. It won't solve your problem, but it will give you stability so that you can walk through some stuff. And without that, we would be in a very different place right now. It's not the same for everybody. But it's why you may need to go talk to a counselor, you may need to speak with somebody who has wisdom that you don't who can help you. But we're so afraid of the stigma that goes of this that we keep it to ourselves. But all you're allowing is for whoppers to grow. And those whoppers will convince you that you have only a few ways out. Last, once you start to get the landscape, make a plan. And follow through. Doesn't matter how crazy or costly the plan is, follow through. And I'm telling you, um, we have done some crazy and costly things. We have done, we did some stuff with my one son that I would never recommend to anybody else. But we thought at the time we got to take a risk, and we did it, and it paid off. And it didn't matter if anybody else understood at the time. It mattered that we we had we had prayed about that. We had talked to God, and we took the risk. We had a plan, and we decided we were just going to stick our necks out and go for it. Uh, We're doing that right now. My wife is 53 years old. She's going back to graduate school to take a second career from the first one she started at age 45. Right? Does this make sense? It's going to take her four years to begin that second career. Set that second career. You know why it makes sense? Now, like If you evaluated the cost right now, this is not smart. It's not smart to go back to grad school at this age and to do that sort of stuff. Why are we doing it? My wife was volunteering someplace. And she found that she loved something that she was doing. And she decided, I think God made me to do this. And if I can help her move towards her passion and find purpose... Why not do something crazy like go back to school at age 53? Who cares what it costs at that point? If it helps her engage who God made her to be, it lends purpose and meaning to who she is. Why not? If you figure out what you have to do, make a plan. That's what I did. I figured out what we had to do to make this go, and we're going for it. We're not going to look back. This is the kind of stuff that you can do to help. I cannot change my wife's thinking on this. By the way, um, she's in a much, much healthier place than she's ever been. Um, when the seasons turn dark outside, she still turns dark inside, but we have all kinds of plans in place. She uses the light when she does her makeup in the morning. She exercises In the middle of that dark season, we go away for a week into a sunny place because we found that it resets her for about four weeks. We have plans, and we execute them. And although I can't change anything that's going on with her, I can help, and so can you. Don't you give up in the process. Don't you pull away from how you can be engaged. See, this... um, There are people who feel powerless and hopeless around you right now. But you could step into their world believing that you could help and you can make a difference. And I believe we should. It's serious right now. It's serious. If you want to find a way to help, why don't you come volunteer with our, our youth ministry? They need small group leaders who will sit down with these kids who are going through this junk. Don't do it out of guilt or that sort of thing, but if you have a passion for this at all and you want to talk with people who are on the front lines of this thing, go volunteer with our youth ministry because those kids are in the midst of this stuff. They're feeling it deeply. It's affecting them. If you're there yourself, I wish you would have the courage to come and talk to us. Talk to somebody. Go to your doctor. Schedule a time with a counselor. Get this thing out into the open and start seeing what you can do to reestablish some meaning and purpose back into your life. Because it exists, God has a future for you. He has meaning and purpose. If you feel helpless to find it on your own, then enlist help. There are people here who love you who will. Do not walk this alone. Can I pray with you all? God, our hearts um, are heavy this morning. Uh, because this is not just the subject. that people are struggling with, this is a thing that we've lost people to and it breaks our hearts. And I'm convinced right now in a group this size, just looking at the stats nationally of what's going on, that there are people sitting here who have seriously considered suicide as an option for their lives. God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak loud into them right now. You have plans for them. You have a future. You love them. You're a God of hope who wants to give them hope. God, I ask that they would crack open the heart to trust you a little bit, to reveal what's going on inside of them. God, as a community of people, you allow us to have the grace and compassion for each other that allows people to say, I'm sad. Maybe it's worse than that. I'm hopeless. And instead of being afraid of it, we would step into it with them. We would have the courage to point to the God of hope And let you do your work. May we be gracious and kind to each other through this. God, you know who needs dealt with this morning, so I ask that you would be present, that you would move, and that you would begin to open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.